Hey guys. What's up? Hi. Hello. Yes, yes. I'm gonna play. Are we you. gonna sing together? Yes, we are. Uh, you feel musically prepared? Never. P's and T's. P's and T's. Okay, I got something. Boom. 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 Hello listeners, and welcome to the Lightbulb Lounge, where we talk about creating, do some creating, celebrate it a bit, and maybe figure out why we don't do it more. Alrighty, here we go. Episode 1, or The Big Uno, as we call it in the biz. Already, the thrill of creating this thing in your ears has been riddled with messiness. One could call it a mess. You know all the nice stuff I mentioned in the trailer? Things like zero stakes and play? Yeah, that's what I repeated feverishly to myself as I biked off to record for this first episode, then spent hours and hours obsessing over small edits and background power drill sounds. I am reminded that focusing on progress, not perfection, is truly much, much easier said than done. If you're looking for a more polished product, Maybe tune in for an eventual episode 7, or perhaps 17. If you care to listen as I figure my own creating thing out, stick around. All that said, I had a lovely time chatting with two wonderful friends. Dear listeners, welcome, welcome to episode 1 of The Lightbulb Lounge. I'm your host, Gabe, and I'm here with my friends... Sam. And... Ruben. That's Sam and Ruben. Let's do this. Okay. So when I was doing the teaser trailer for this uh, podcast thing, by the way, thank you both very much for being here. Officially recording, thank you. When I was doing the teaser trailer, I really enjoyed asking the question, do you consider yourself to be a creative person? Yeah, I think I consider myself a creative person. Now, right now, I'm hoping you don't ask me what creativity means to me, because I don't think I have an answer for that. (laughs) I'll need to marinate a little bit, but I think... And I have thought of myself as a creative person. I think that comes from, like, at a young age, playing the piano. And, like, musically, that was, like, my main medium for expressing creativity. Do you still play? I still know how to play, but I don't have the means of, like, playing a piano. Mm. Now, or even, like, back home, like, we sold our piano. I had a keyboard, but it was, like, kind of tucked away. But I also, like, play the drums, too but also sold my drums. So <laughs> it's like if you put me behind the keys or like some drums. Tickle in the ivories kind of thing. Tickle the yeah, yes sir. Yeah. Um, but I haven't, haven't expressed myself musically in too long. Apart from this intro. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ruben, do you consider yourself to be creative? Yeah, I do, but definitely not musically creative. I... I've always loved like music stuff, but I don't feel very... And I've played instruments in my childhood, but I've never felt musical. Hmm. I think where I... For a really long time, I didn't feel creative. And then when I got to college, I, like, I was like, oh, I'll branch out. I'll like, try some new stuff. And I tried some improv that I did for all four years, and I tried some filmmaking that I did for the last three years of yeah. college. And both of those things like really clicked with me. I, w- I loved them both. Um, don't do much improv anymore, but I still do filmmaking, and I like absolutely love it. It's like my favorite form of expression. Uh, like really shaped kind of like how I like to spend my free time too and like things that I'm thinking about all the projects that I want to work on when I do have free time are film projects yeah see I'm I'm as curious about why you felt creative doing film 
as I am curious about why you felt uncreative doing music. Mm. You know, like what, and, and for you. Here I turn from Ruben to Sam. For music and whatever else you feel mm -hmm. creative or uncreative about. What, what, what's there? For me, definitely it was that I was forcing myself to do music. Mm -hmm. I, like for instance, when I was growing up, my parents had me play violin and I hated it. Like I absolutely hated it. So as soon as I had like a say in what I, how I could spend my yeah. time, I was like, oh, I want to play in a band. So my friend was really good and he was like, we need a bassist and I have an extra bass. Like, can you learn to play my bass? I was like, yeah, but it never really felt like I was doing anything for me. Like, I, it was never my own ideas. And I still enjoyed doing it, and I loved performing, and it was, like, really fun. But I didn't feel good at it, and I didn't feel inspired by it. And I think that changed. I definitely wasn't good at filmmaking when I started, but yeah. I at least felt really inspired. Like, I had so many ideas. And I actually started not with filmmaking, but with script writing. Like, I just, like, sat down one day. I was like, I have this idea. I'm going to try and write it. Didn't even know the format of, like, how to write a script. <laughs> I just, like, started writing in, in Google Docs or something. Um... But yeah, it, I, I think that chance to like get stuff out of my head and onto paper and then know that it could go further was really cool. Yeah, yeah like right it's, it's interesting because I also have an improv background. Mm. So we should do like improv games or something like that sometime <laughs> soon. But the, the, the one creative medium that I don't feel drawn to or like filled by is just like painting and things like that. I've painted before, watercolor... Uh, canvas, that kind of stuff. And I've tried it, but I, when it comes to drawing, I just don't feel like very good at it at all. Mm. I remember like when I was in fifth grade, I had this uh, like Dragon Ball Z character book, and I would like trace characters from the Dragon Ball Z book. And I'd like go to class the next day and like tell my friends like, "Yo, look what I drew," and they'd be like, "Wow, it's so cool, Sam." But deep down, like I need the truth. <laughs> behind, behind this show is a phony. <laughs> So you, you, it was like a pretense of creativity. You felt, did you didn't feel? It's like, actually... it's like, it's like I wanted the fulfillment from that from that creative endeavor because I knew that on my own I couldn't feel that creativity. I knew on my own I couldn't feel the satisfaction from drawing. That I tried to fill that hole with like, with lies. Yeah, with lies. <laughs> and I felt like maybe it was just like a like the final product isn't what I want it to be. So like mm. when I draw freehand, it's not good. But like if I can trace something. Maybe I can, like, trick my brain to thinking that, like, hey, like, I'm good at this. And then through expertise, I get fulfillment. But it still never happened. Well, it's, it's like the final product is, was it what you wanted it to be or what you thought others wanted it to be? Because you took it first thing the next day to the, your classmates. Mm. Yeah, it's like, it's like, was I doing art from myself or for, like, for other people? Like, for, like, the, the admiration from other people. Yeah. It definitely wasn't for myself. Mm. Like, I think it was, like... I think the deeper thing is that like I was doing it for like the the admiration from other people. So Ruben, you just said that you felt more creative, not when you were playing music for other like learning violin for your parents mm -hmm. or playing bass for your friend's band, but when you started doing film just for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Here I turn to Sam again, referencing an earlier conversation about his particularly well decorated room where we were recording. He had admitted to adding some last minute touch ups because he knew we were coming over. And then you were just saying that you felt creative designing your room, right? Mm -hmm. But you were kind of doing that for us. You mm -hmm. were... Yeah, you're making connections right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to write down what y'all are saying. So, <laughs> but like, so, so can you, do you feel creative when you're making primarily for yourself, primarily for others? I think it's like different shades. Like when I would make music, 
I would just be playing by myself in a room for like hours mm. and no one would ever hear what I was playing and I was loving it. Definitely very fulfilled. But with like this room or like over summer I made this like love letter video to like my hometown and like, all my friends and it took like, a couple months. But the end goal was like I'm compiling all this footage, I'm editing it down to like a five, seven minute video to show to other people. Like we're gonna have like a viewing of it. Yeah. And so when it came to that it's, it was like a blended experience where like I was enjoying how things were looking and I was like, damn, like I'm having fun doing this. Can I curse on this? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it also was like with the intention of it being enjoyed and viewed by other people. So maybe it's like it's on a spectrum. I mean, that's how I felt with this project. Is, uh, I, I've been wanting to do this for like over a year and I haven't. And now with the structure of this class that I'm doing it in, and with the community of other people who are also making things, a big part of me doing this now is I'm excited to share it. Mm -hmm. It was initially going to be, this is for me, but that's really shifted to like, I want this to be an us kind of thing, but I still feel creative doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. I also, I just feel like I should add on too, I did the exact same thing for my friends in college. Like I made, I spent about <laughs> four to six months making a video, collecting, compiling, editing footage, all for the purpose of like, before I had even made it, we just were like, viewing party like there will be a day yes. where we all watch this yes. and i will make sure that this thing is done by this day yeah which is really crazy and i do think of that as like even though it's definitely not the thing that i would like if someone's like show me your filmmaking expertise i would mm. not show that it's the thing i love the most of yeah. all the stuff that i've made mm -hmm. because like it i could share it like it was it was not just mine even though it was like an idea that i had in the back of my head it wasn't i think that like the filmmaking equivalent or for any art like or any creativity of any kind like noodling, like the just like playing around on a guitar or whatever yeah. else, like that equivalent for anything is fun and it's good for you and it's like good to do this thing. But to have a project that is like much more social that you share with someone else is way more powerful and also keeps you like more invested in it. Mm -hmm. I, I lose interest in stuff if I like continue, if I worked on something for four months and it was just for me without mm. any, like no one else was ever going to see it. Mm. Like I don't know how that I would ever finish that sort of thing. What are some things that you do make just for you? And, and I have an idea in mind for myself that I'll just throw out. I journal, I try to journal regularly, and I'm fine sharing anything in my journals with folks, but I don't write things in my journal to share with folks. Right? I have to do it primarily for myself, otherwise when I'm reflecting on my thoughts and feelings, I get so caught up in like, what if someone's reading this? I have to make my thoughts and feelings sound good, mm -hmm. or coherent, or something, and it totally bottles up mm -hmm. that creative process versus just, I'm just writing for myself to figure out my own things. And then it inevitably comes out in a form that I'm comfortable sharing with others. So I'm just curious if there's things you share or you, you create just for you. Yeah, you, you bring up an interesting point because while I was like making this like summer love letter video, there were moments where I was like, okay, other people with different tastes are going to see this. So there, this can't be like a Sam-centric kind of video in terms of like the, the humor and the pacing and things like that. And so like trying to like have it have mass appeal was also something that I was mindful of. So it wasn't... And like I'm not trying to put like a value judgment on like whether that's good or bad. Like making a video for me versus making a video for other people just two different kinds of videos. One isn't inherently better or worse. You know, I'm not like 
jeopardizing on my artistic artistic vision. It's just a different shade of like my artistic vision. Mm. And so I I think that there are like when you make something for yourself or for another person or group of people, at least for me, it is very different um, outcomes. In taking on all of the people that you want to create for, right, and, and how much you wanted to share, and moving from Sam-centric to, to mass appeal, have you ever gone too far in trying to appeal to so many people that it doesn't feel at all like you or for you mm. anymore? Not when it comes to art. But I can think of, like, social settings. Trying to be as, like, universal with my jokes or, like, how I'm talking to other people that I get so in my head that I just, like, not say anything. Hmm. I'm like, oh, well, if I, like, say this, I might be excluding other people. So let me just think about something else to say. But that's something, that magical something else that covers all the terrain is non-existent. So I'll just be like, ah, I'm just going to say nothing. Hmm. <laughs> I feel like also, I, I mean... I think this, there's a lot of overlap between social interaction and improv, but I don't know mm-hmm. if you can speak to this, Sam, but like it, there's the classic thing of if someone continues to like do the same sort of characters a lot, like they work a lot with the same audience or even within, within the group if you're like practicing, yeah. um, those become like the characters that you do. And I used to do that all the time. I mean, I did throughout all of improv, and I think that that was really like a fear mechanism a little bit. Like you're catering to the things that tend to be the most successful whether mm-hmm. or not they're like the best idea in your head like it's a fallback it's a total crutch and I mean sometimes that's really good and having that safety especially in like a performance environment is really nice but it definitely like the existence of that and the affirmation that there was something that I could fall back on made me shy away from a lot of creativity I think that I could have done in improv and part of that becomes like a trap because you want to keep mm-hmm. performing with the same people but those people are the people that kind of they're not trying to but in your relationship with them through comedy like you you build that sort of rapport that's dependent on you doing a certain thing so I think that can be limiting a little bit that's a little bit too far if you're only ever doing the things that people expect you to do in like a performance setting or something like mm-hmm. that it's like it's like a, a creative comfort zone where it's <laughs> okay I know if I do this it might not kill but it's still get like I know that in my past experience it's gotten a good response from people so I can either do something that I'm not get a good response or something that I'm not sure what the response will be and it might not kill and that might hurt to go through. So um, why wouldn't I go with this? Like, why would I not go for like, my comfort zone? Right. But I think like, the why wouldn't you is that if you go with the other option, yeah, it might not kill, but it also has the potential to kill. And it could be like an amazing bit that you hadn't done before, but you won't know if you don't take that risk. But I think it's just like, this inherent desire to like always go back to that like human comfort zone and to always be safe and not have to like risk and put our necks out. It sounds to me like in your improv roles, mm-hmm. those potentially started as feeling very creative and out of your comfort zone. And then they became over time uncreative and in your comfort zone. I think what it was more is that as I became more comfortable, it was like harder to go deeper. You know, like at the very start, like the first six months I was learning to do improv, it was like everything was new, everything was exciting. I could try myself in all these different ways, like find the things that I like, the things that I don't, build off of ideas. Like I was thinking about it way more often. And as it became like two, three years in, as it became like a regular piece of my life, Mm -hmm. I think I got better at it, but it also got harder to get that continuous sense of like innovation in my life a little bit, you know, like it more was just my weekly chance to like word vomit all of the weird shit in my head yeah. than like 
a chance to grow, I guess. So how do you how do you stay creative in anything multiple years in? Like, what does that look like? Did you have, you know, if you had a show three years into your improv thing where you were like, oh, that was, I killed it. It was super new, felt really fresh, you know, or I'm thinking just even in careers like teaching, you know, teachers come in and they're so gung-ho about trying new things and then they settle in to a routine. My instinct is to say that the more failures you can notice later on, the better. Because I think part of the reason people settle in is they're like, all oh, this is working now. Like, I'm in a routine. And routine can be good, but as long as it's you're, it's still, like, geared towards fixing the things you still see wrong instead of finding that, like, nook of comfort, I think you can keep being creative. But I don't... I think also it's okay to have peaks and valleys a little bit in creativity. That if you're constantly being creative, that's exhausting. And no mm-hmm. one can do that forever. Um, sometimes you need to rest and take a step back. Hmm. I think maybe the people you surround yourself with. So being around people who aren't always like yes men, people who would be willing to like challenge you and be like, hey, you you keep on doing the same character or in an improv scene, like you keep on defaulting to like gagging or pimping and I'm trying to flex like my improv skills right now. <laughs> you keep on like falling to like these old habits and you do it for enough time, you don't even realize that you're doing that. You don't even realize that, like, you're breaking these rules that maybe when you were first getting into this artistic endeavor, you wouldn't do it. But then it's really easy to kind of, like, just get lazy and, like, fall into bad habits. So I think that's, like, the importance of, like, the other people can have. And surrounding yourself with other people who can push you in your artistic endeavors... So I, I, I'm just noticing some of the language y'all are using where, Sam, you said, be, have people around you who critique. And then, Ruben, you're talking about, it's about noticing failures. Noticing failures helps you stay in a state of change. But what about keeping your dreaming self alive? You know, not just, not just critiquing and saying, oh, I failed, I could do better, but just wanting more, I don't know, in a more positive frame. Does that make sense? Mm. Have you heard of this, this thing called growth mindset? <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. No. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, I'm a casual listener who's just tuning in. <laughs> I Let me... You're reminding me of something that I, I had a conversation actually two days ago. I, I won't say who this person is. They're, she's like really stressed about trying to find her direction in life and is really scared to fail, not because it means like the end of anything, but more because she holds herself to a really high standard and doesn't want to experience anything that goes against that. And we were talking about whether or not it is possible. We decided it is possible to both hold yourself to a high standard and fail. That like part of hoping that you're better is giving yourself the chance to like find what you need to be better at. So I think it's all about the perspective and like the expectations you hold for yourself in that way and I mean literally I'm describing growth mindset <laughs> but in, I think in terms of like how do you how do you fail without letting go of those dreams it's like that it actually is the dreams are the prerequisite to failing you don't find the dreams through failing so much as like you can hold on to them through the failure and let the failure kind of like wash you around a little bit on your way there that's what I think at least mm-hmm. but to get through the failures you have to be holding on to this dream some some sight on the other end of it or some hope. 
you know, for a long time I would have said yes, but I'm in a class that I'm in recently, we've been talking a lot about resilience, and I mean, that's basically like the, whatever that nebulous thing means, you could say it's like the quality of surviving failure and other things, but just surviving in general. But there's this great theory that Fred Rogers gave about resilience is like based on the people around us and both our capacity to be loved and to love other people. And that he has like this great quote, I forget how it goes, but it's something like, when the gusty winds of life blow, the way you are able to like bend and stretch is based on the people around you. Hmm. So I'm not so sure if it's just about like internal intrinsic motivation, so which is also just like sometimes you don't have intrinsic motivation and other people can prop you up. Hmm. Well, I don't know if I'd have the resilience to produce this podcast without certain people around me as I'm speaking. Mm, love that. <laughs> Go on. Tying it together. All right, I feel like I'm leaving this with more questions than I came in, but I also have to go meet Karen Brennan for my next <laughs> interview, so... Oh, my God. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for chatting. Love it. Yeah, this was fun. Any words to the people out there? Or, or person. I really don't know how many listeners it's going to be. Could be singular. Yo, donate to my Patreon. <laughs> subscribe to me on YouTube. <laughs> follow for follow. You got you got some links, Sam. You want to throw? <laughs> yeah. I'm working on setting up a website. We can, we can make that work. Sam and I are doing an improv show next yeah, week. Yeah. If you guys can show up. That'd be great. And, and uh, Gutman Library. <laughs> Until security moves us out. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, we spent some time talking about their latest creations which ideally would be the ending to each of these Lightbulb Lounge episodes. However, I didn't give them a heads up to bring anything, so we bid our farewells. I love you both dearly. Dude, this was so fun. Yeah. After editing all of this and really getting to sit with Sam and Ruben's ideas for more time, I ended up with a long list of questions, a few of which I'll share here. How do people come to identify as creative? Sam got it from a musical childhood, Ruben, not until he clicked with later-in-life self-directed pursuits. What keeps us from slumping in safety zones? Sam said pushing and critiquing. Ruben said noticing failures. Is there value in safety zones? I'm wondering about Ruben's line, dreams are the prerequisite to failing. And finally, I'm thinking about the idea that routine can be good if it's geared towards finding ways to be better rather than your nook of comfort. I'm thinking about a routine of growth, Routine that doesn't necessarily mean stagnation. Anyway, dear listeners, that's the end of episode one. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us. I hope you'll join us again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, that's cool. I feel like that's that's plenty. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, Send that to post.